Well, praise God, it's a fascinating passage of uh, Scripture. And it's amazing, again, to look at it because we realize that Jesus is celebrating uh, the last Passover with his disciples before his death, burial, and resurrection. And he gives them a valuable lesson, and that is, again, taking and washing the disciples' uh, feet. You know, it's a valuable lesson on humility. You know, it causes us to worship. It causes us to look in awe of the great Christ who happens to begin right there. But that's about all that Judas can take. You know, Judas wants fame. He wants grandeur. He wants an ease. That happened to be again of a life. And if this is going to be a servanthood, if this is what is being called, he's not having any of it. And so he goes out to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sets in motion a number of events will, which will, in fruition, put Jesus on that cross. And it's amazing, again, to look at all of these events because, it, because uh, Jesus gave many opportunities to repent, but he would not repent, and he sets in motion all of these events. And the amazing thing about that is when you look at the crucifixion of, of Jesus, it ends with what? Judas, again, losing his life, but Jesus Christ having eternal life. And it's amazing, again, to look at that. But once the betrayer is gone, and this is where we entered last time we were together and we looked at the passage of Scripture, Jesus, it's almost like the clouds open up and all of a sudden there's bright sunshine. That heaviness that Jesus was feeling is gone, at least for the moment, until he comes back to the garden again. And he just feels that liberty to share with these dear disciples, these truths, breathtaking true truths in the next three chapters that are so dear, that are so heavy on his heart, that he really wants to minister to those who happen to be again around him. But it all starts off with realizing as Judas leaves all of these events that, that will transpire, that this is how ultimately he is going to be glorified and how ultimately his father is going to be glorified. And you can see that in verses 31 and 32. He says, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And it's talking about this mutual glorification, isn't it? We realize the Father glorifies Jesus Christ by giving him the greatest mission. And the greatest mission is to live that perfect life but die that substitutionary death. So that's the epitome of the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, or God the Father. And of course, we realize it's also the glory of God the Father because the Son goes and obeys the Father even to the point of death. And last time we were together, we tried to really squeeze that glory out, that we might see it, that we might be brought to a place of praise, of honor of this great God. We realize beyond a shadow of a doubt as we look at the cross, we just marvel in the glory of God, right? How God is just. And at the same time, we see his extreme grace that is brought to us and that he's the justifier of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize that Jesus is not a victim, but a conqueror, and he conquers all the foes. And I think, again, all of us stand in awe of that. In fact, we're going to be singing about his escapades, about the work of the cross and what it means on our behalf for all of eternity. But we also revel, but, but when we revel in his glory, we realize that what, what glory is, it's a manifestation of the character of God, isn't it? We see who God is, and we're brought to honor him to glorify him. But we realize as we look at God, it's meant to change us, isn't it? It's meant to alter us. And that's where this command comes in that happens to be in this passage of scripture, how we ought to love one another. It comes in again, why? Because theology is practical. You know, how we reverence God, how we see God, how we serve God. It has a practical, again, outworking that happens to be again in each of our lives that we love 
one another. And let me ask you um, this afternoon, how are you doing on that command? You know, how are you doing on loving others that happen to begin around you? Because when really when you look at it, I think if you ask the average Christian who happens to be again out there, are they a loving individual? I think if you took a poll and people were honest, it would be in the high 90s that people would say that they are loving individuals. You know, and why? And the reason why is because we compare ourselves, don't we? We compare ourselves to one another, and you, you might have a marriage, you know, that's loving, that's decent, that's honorable. You know, when you look at that marriage and you compare it to other marriages that happen to be again around us, we might look again at somebody who's done us harm, and we've forgiven them, you know, and we compare that love with those that happen to be again around us. We might look at our children and the time and effort we pour to them. We might look at our church activity, and it's better than most of the people that happen to be again around us. But when you look at what God says, God says our greatest problem that we have is a lack of love for him. And what that does is translate in a lack of love for other people. I mean, think of it. You know, how much hostility, how much anger, how much frustration, how much unforgiveness, you know, how much hostility goes on in your heart about other people that happen to be in your life? And yet when we look at a command that happens to be like this in Scripture, how often are we convicted, you know, of whether we happen to be loving individuals? I wonder if our understanding of the love of God in Christ Jesus uh, might be faulty, you know, might not, again, be all that it's meant to be. I wonder, again, uh, of many things that we define love as is not really loving, But in the end, again, as we look at what love is, it's many times, again, self-love. You know, there's people that we choose to love, the way that we choose to love them that happen to begin in our life has more to do with us and how we feel rather than those that happen to begin around us. And I really want us to be ambassadors of Christ. And to be ambassadors of Christ, there has to be an outworking or theology among one another that we love one another. And I want us to see if we can have an understanding of of this command. And then when we get an understanding of this command, I want us to see why Jesus Christ specifically gave this command, why it's so important to him. But I think we have to understand it. And you can see the command in verse number 34, because he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, probably when you look at one of the most misused words in the English language, and Richard, I would say that this word is next to need. You know, it happens to be the word love. Isn't it true? You know, we use love so frequently that happens to be again out there. We can even use it many times. Our people use it many times in an unbiblical way, many times to excuse the sin that happened to be in their lives. Many marriages are dissolved. And why? Because I just don't love you anymore. You know, or have fallen in love with somebody else, or, you know, that love that used to be there is just no longer there. And we don't see it as as a command of God. You know, and what we're expressing many times is a feeling, isn't it? It's not, again, the command of God that God has given us, again, regardless of who the people are that happen to be, again, around us, regardless of the circumstances, circumstances that we are to love. And I wonder how many biblical, unbiblical notions have crept into our practice, even as believers, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's amazing to look at this command, because this command is high, it's noble, isn't it? You know, a new commandment I give to you. 
you know, and you can see, in fact, even when you look at everything that the Bible says, everything in the Old Testament, it's incredible how much it says about love. But Jesus says here, and I love the way he words it, he says, a new commandment. Now think about that. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. Now here's a question. How is it a new commandment? And I think the way that most people would answer it, because they really haven't thought about it, is just, is, uh, just this. Well, Jesus has raised the bar. You know, Jesus has taken it and put love in its extreme place. And so when you look at the Old Testament, we're, we're to love. But in the New Testament, there is a new standard. There is a new extreme of love. And I don't know if I quite agree with that. And the reason why is because what's taught in the Old Testament, again, about love. You know, when you look at what is taught in the Old Testament about love, how much are we to love God? You know, is, is it just a bit? Is it just somewhat again in our life? In fact, Jesus gives a synopsis, a summary again of the Old Testament, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse number 37. He says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. And listen to what he says. This is how you love, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he says this is the epitome of the whole Old Testament law. You want to know how to obey the Old Testament law, then love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the overflow of that love is going to be loving your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty extreme love, isn't it? That's a pretty great love. And I think a lot of times we'd like to divide the Old Testament right here. You know, the Old Testament, it's law, you know, and, but when we get to New Testament, it's grace and love. And let me say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that couldn't be further from the truth. When you look at the immensity of the love that the Israelites were to have towards God and towards one another, it was absolutely extreme. So we get back to our question, right? How is this a new command? You know, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to uh give it over to AW Pink because I think he gives a great answer and listen to what he says right here. He said love had now been and this is so important the next three words. Love had now been and here it is manifested yet personified as never before. And what's he mean by that? When you look at the Old Testament command to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, there's only one who's ever done that. You know, and right away we see it in Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of that command of loving the Father, God, up above with all of himself, right? And we see flesh and blood. That's what he means. Love has now been manifested. He personified as never before. Christ had displayed a love superior to what? To the faults of its objects. That's us. A love which never varied. Otherwise, it didn't dissipate. It didn't go up and down. Didn't go up and down by our performance. A love which deemed no sacrifice. Here it is, too great. You know, and that's the key, isn't it? If you want to understand, again, this new command, if you want to understand the command to love, it's manifested, it's personified in Jesus Christ. In other words, there's flesh and bones that happen to begin uh, behind it that we might know what it looks like. And let me just make a few observations about this love. And certainly, again, when we're loving God, right, right, we really, but, but here it is. It's Christ loving us that causes us to love him. And if we love him, here's an overflow. There's a love. There's an object that we love. 
And that happens to be again one another. You see it right at the end of the verse. It says, just as I have loved you. Here it is. You also are to love one another. So with the same love that Jesus gives us, we're to show it to one another. Now think of it. Because I think the wording here is so important, isn't it? Because he could have said, you know, with the same love that I give, that I have loved you, you are to love your neighbor. And who, who would your neighbor take in? Your neighbor would take in the person next door. It would take in the person you work with. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, love one another. And why does he say that? Because this is a precursor, here it is, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get over the epistles, you see this over and over, that we are to have a love for one another in the body of Christ, irregardless, again, of who that is. And that's so amazing. You know, if you want to see one of the greatest manifestations of God in this world, it happens to be the love in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at various different organizations, various different organizations come together because they have common interests or common loves, right? You know, if you go down to Point Pelee and you take a walk, again, a walk through the trails that happen to be there, you're going to be met by several different people. And you're going to recognize them. They're going to have certain hats on. They're going to have boots, certain clothing to protect them from the bugs that happen to be there. And these wide cameras with these long, long lenses. And they're called this. They're called birders. You know, and why? Because they have a love for birds. And they love to talk about birds. They love to associate. They love it, again, to share their pictures. They love to share, again, even, even their cameras, so you, 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 you know, that you might see them. And they have a love for that. You know, there's other people, again, who have a love um, uh, for tennis. You know, and they're brought together for tennis. There's others, again, that might be um, swimming club. There might be a Serbian club. And why? Because we have a common language that happens to be, again, right there. But think of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is all gathered together, and the only thing that we have in common, here it is, is our faith in Jesus Christ. Other than that, again, there's nothing in common. In other words, again, think of it. Here's a command, and it is a command. It's not an option. It's not a philosophy. You know, I have this philosophy, and I think it's going to go well in your life, and it's going to make your life easier. Love one another. It's not a philosophy. It's a command. There's no option. And here it is, it's not a commonality that's going to cause us to love one another, is it? Because we come from all various different backgrounds that happen to begin right there. And you think of the early church, they came, uh, some of them were religious in background, some of them were pagan, some of them were people who were notoriously sinful, others again had a moral upbringing. You had the rich and the poor, you had people from various walks of life, you had statesmen, you had freemen, you had slaves, you had people again of various different languages, various different cultures from various different places. You had men, women, and children. You had young and old. You had those who were in good health, those who were in poor health. You had the married people. You had the single people. And what's my whole point? My whole point is these are many times categories that separate people. You know, separate who we love, who we function in. And in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you bring all of these different people who have really nothing in common together, and you bring them in to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a command. You are to love these individuals. And it's not an option in our life. You know, the scope of it is to love one another. And the way it's defined is this way. Just as I have loved you. 
Now, here's the question. When you look at that command, just as I have loved you, we're to love Jesus Christ, we're to love, uh, love others in the household of faith the way Jesus loved us. Well, how did he love us? And I don't think it's very hard, isn't it? Because he's just said, you know, I'm going to be glorified right now. The Father is going to glorify the Son. Here's, here, here's Judas. He goes out. He puts into motion all of these activities. He knows how it's going to end. And I am going to be glorified. So how does Jesus ultimately love us? We realize what it is. It's the sacrifice of the cross. You know, we have in Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse number 7, it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, perhaps for a good person, one would dare, to, dare even to die. But here's God's love. Here's Jesus' love, which is so different, right? We're not righteous. We're not a good person. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ gave his life, not because we were worthy not because, again, we had merit, but because he chose to love us. And we realize that's the love that we're called to give one another, a sacrificial love. And I wonder, again, as you look at all the hostilities, all the angers, all the frustrations that might exist in your heart towards those who happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder how often you ask yourself, how do I obey God's command in this situation? How do I sacrifice how do I work towards the welfare of others that happen to be again around you? And here's the thing you have to realize. When you look at this command to love, it's not just talking about something ritualistic. It's not just talking about, I have done my duty. I have done my deed. And therefore, I've done what God wants me to do. We realize there's heart and soul in this. In fact, the greatest definition of love happens to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It goes like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Here it is. Love never ends. And I wonder if you look at that definition again of love, how much does that describe the love that is seen in your life towards others? Because let me name one aspect. And I think this is such a lost aspect in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're always looking at the church. What can individuals do for me? You know, how can they love me? How can they serve me? And it's all about me. But here's what love does. Love never ends, right? Love endures. It's absolutely amazing. We have people that will exist in one location for all of their adult life, but what they'll do is they'll belong to maybe three, four, five different churches. You know, and what they'll do is there's a skip from this church and this church and this church, but this is what Jesus says. Love endures true biblical love. There's never a time where Jesus Christ stops loving us. There's never a time, again, because of our foibles, because, again, of our weaknesses, that Jesus Christ stops loving us. And th think of what we do when we join a church. When we join a church, we are covenanting. Here it is. We belong to this church, right? Right? Love, love, love the brotherhood. Here it is. We're covenanting to love these people and endure in loving these people, no matter, again, what the weaknesses happen to be in their life. You know, and that's even above all the hatreds and frustrations that happen to exist in our hearts. Now, in the midst, let me just say that's a tough command. It really is a tough command. You know, so often we look at ourselves and we think we're easy to love, but all of us are difficult to love in one way or another. 
And we might look at a command that happens to be like this. We might look at various different people that happen to be in in the church and say, how can I ever obey this command? And here's the amazing thing, and we'll get to this when we get to chapter number 14. God's given us his spirit, hasn't he? He's given us the spirit of God that we might obey the glorious God that happens to be above, that we might love the way that God loves with intentionality, even if that love is not reciprocated. Now, I want you to think about it because it's a high call, isn't it? This love, to love other people in a sacrificial way, the same way that Jesus Christ has loved us. But here's the question I want us to ask. You know, what's the purpose of this love? What's the ultimate goal, again, of this love? And the ultimate goal, again, is seen in, in both verses 33 and following. Let's read this passage once again. It says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he gives the command, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this love for one another. So we, see, we need to see the necessity of how this passage is all joined together because it's amazingly joined together, isn't it? Because first of all, we have this. We have Satan. We have Judas leave. And when Judas leaves the room, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to be glorified. The Father is going to be glorified. And we see that, and then all of a sudden we're given this truth that Jesus Christ is going to go away. And once he says that, he tells them to love one another. And when he tells them to love one another, this is what he says. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So think of that. How is Jesus Christ manifested today? How is his glory seen And his glory is seen, again, not that Jesus Christ is visible, again, earthly, again, body visible with us today, but his church is. You know, and that's what he means when he, in verse number 33, he talks about his departure. Little children, yet a little while, and I I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And when he says, again, little children, there's a tenderness that happens to be, again, about this passage. There's a warmth, there's a love that Jesus Christ has for his own. Even though he knows these men are weak, even though he knows in a couple hours that they are going to depart and disown him, he loves them. You know, my little children, and let me tell you, we're drawn towards that love, aren't we? We want to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's there's an amazing pattern that happens to me again right here. Once we see the love of God, once we see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, what it does is it convicts us of our sin. When it convicts us of our sin, all of a sudden we're brought to mourning, we're brought to sorrow, we're brought to repentance. And when we're brought to repentance, we're brought to action. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's overcoming that sin sin of not loving my brother, loving my sister as I am. And all of a sudden we see his love again. And when we see his love even more intense, more clearly, that pattern starts going on more and more that happened beginning in life. And you can see this continue on. You know, and this is an amazing thing. This is how marriages become godly marriages, right? You know, here's a husband, here's, here's, here's a wife, irregardless, again, of what the other husband or the other spouse is doing. We see Christ. We see his love. This causes us to love our spouse, doesn't it? It causes us to see our sin. It causes us to see where we're not doing the things we ought to do. We repent of those things. We become, again, more 
what would you say, committed to this relationship. And why? Because we're committed to this Lord. There's no rivals that happen to be again in there, but we love the other person, and we keep loving that other person. And the more we see God, the more we see his extreme love, the more that love grows, the more it manifests the love of Jesus Christ for his church and the church's adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's the same, again, that happens to be in the church. You know, even with our love towards one another, even for the love that happens to be again to the brethren. You know, we see that. We see that commitment for Christ and that commitment, again, to love one another. And it's not a chore. You know, it's something that we, because we adore Christ, that we begin to truly have a loving service, loving attitudes towards one another. And the main thing that we need to be protected against in our life, because we want to look out, 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 the main thing that we have to protect in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to have loving testimonies, is to look at our own hearts, to realize that we need to grow in that Christ-centered love, and be amazed at the love that God shows us in all of his glory and all of his greatness, and be turned again from one uh, glory to another glory. And this is the strength of the testimony of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the strength of our witnesses. Because he says in verse number 35 this. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If, this is the only way, if you have love for one another. So that otherworldly love. You know, you think of it, somebody comes into our church, somebody, again, who's lived, I don't know, maybe a very sinful life, and they look around and they see, again, all these various different uh, individuals uh, congregating together, loving one another. What conclusion are they going to come to? Oh, they're all of the same economic strata, and we realize that's not true. Oh, they're all of the same age. Oh, we realize that is not true. Oh, they're, they're all of the same profession. We realize that is not true. Oh, they're all the same race. No, we realize that is not true. So what do we do? We look for another answer. Where does this love originate? And it originates again from God. Now, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's amazing. You know, I can't, I can't believe it. My wife and I, I often talk about, again, how it seemed like a blink. But it's 23 years since we came to candidate this month at Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's hard to believe. It really is. You know, and during that 23 years, some of you have come in. You know, some of you, again, actually uh, became Christians, again, under the ministry of, uh, of me being pastor. Some of you have been over my office and have shared the gospel with you, and you came to Christ. Others, you have come to a saving knowledge of Christ through others that happen to be, again, in the uh, church. But one of the things, when I talk to individuals and I ask them many times what drew them to Emmanuel Baptist Church Many times they will talk about the fellowship of believers. Many times they will say, when I came in here, there was such a love, such a oneness, such a harmony, such a unity that existed among the brothers. And they realized beyond a shadow of a doubt, when they looked around at all of this, it was unlike them. You know, they were not like other people. And they realized beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was something missing in their life. And they wanted to investigate, where did this love, where did this harmony, where did this forgiveness, where did this spirit come from? You know, and where it came from was none other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that love that God used was the way way it opened the door a lot of people. I can remember talking to one person, you know, who, who said when they came out to this place and saw how everyone associated with everyone else, 
they knew God was in this place. They could see some other love. You know, and we ask ourselves, remember, God is going to be glorified. Christ is going to be glorified. And here's the question we ask. How is our glorious Christ visually seen today? What is evidence that our gospel is true? And here it is, our love for one another. And again, it's easy not to, it's easy not to look at our lives and look at other people's lives that happen to be around him because he's challenged him. You need to love the same way that I loved you. And remember what had just happened. Just before they started the Passover dinner, everybody passed by the basin. You know, and only one got up in a loving fashion to wash the other disciples' feet. You know, and no sacrifice, again, was too great, too demeaning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, he's going to give a greater illustration, a greater, again, sense, again, of what that love is uh, through the cross work. And please don't get, get me wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't preach the gospel. But let me tell you, when we preach the gospel, how it's validated is our love towards one another. So think about it. How do you know a church is a gospel-preaching church? How do you know if it's a Christ-centered church? You know, is it the size of the building? Is it how ornate, you know, all the surroundings happen to be? Is it the largeness of the budget? Is it how flamboyant the preacher happens to be? You know, according to Jesus Christ, this is how we know that we're disciples. By this, all people will know, right? All people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. There it is. You know, and I wonder if we have this Christ-centered love. We always talk about the influence we need that happen to be again in a culture that happens to begin around us, that we need to change it, that we need to enter in on it. But I wonder how often we're asking ourselves, you know, is anyone really seeing the significance of Jesus Christ in me and how we associate, how we even love those who are hard to love? Richard Phillips, in his commentary, quotes Francis Schaeffer as writing this. Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. They have worn marks in their lapels of their coats, hung chains around their necks, even had special haircuts. But there is a much better sign, a mark that has not been thought of just as a matter of expediency for use on some special occasion or in some specific era. It is a universal mark that is to last through all the ages of the church until Jesus comes back. What is it? Love. And the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. I mean, an amazing statement. I can remember reading a little bit about the church historian, the church father, Tertullian. You know, and he talks about, again, the place that he lived and the testimony that many believers had that many unbelievers many times walked around and were just amazed at the love that Christians had for one another. He said he heard one person speak up one day, and they said this, see how they love one another. What an amazing statement. And I wonder if anybody is ever struck by the way that we love one another. 
I wonder if anybody could ever walk into Emmanuel Baptist Church and be amazed how you are loving the other saints to happen to be in a, uh, there. I wonder if anyone could look at your life and your love and the people that happen to be in your life and think that in some way this has to be an otherworldly love. Because think of it. We look at it as so light, but this is how Jesus Christ is going to be known. This is how his love is going to be known and his glory manifested. This is not an option in our life, but a command from our loving Savior that we ought to love one another just as he has loved us. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, what a high command. What a glorious command. And God, because we have relationships that seem to be positive in our life, so often we look at a command like this and we don't investigate it very far. We don't really ask the question, am I truly loving those who happen to be again around me? Am I truly trying to be an example of this sacrificial, giving love, even if it's not reciprocated on the other end? Do I love? Do I look for opportunities, even as I come out Sunday, to love other individuals, a wide plethora of individuals, the way that you've loved us? Lord, do we really combat the issues of the heart, such as unforgiveness, such as jealousy, such as envy, such as strife, such as, again, unforgiveness? Do we truly seek, Lord, to do battle with those things that we might be put in a position to love those whom you called into our lives. We thank you for this high calling. We thank you, Lord, that through this calling that your love can be manifested towards this lost and dying world. Just be with us now as we close. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.